This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Today, we speak to Tunku Ayra Tunku Razif, Assistant Representative at the UNFPA, short for the United Nations Population Fund from Malaysia, to discuss the launch of their much-anticipated Enhancing Human Capital Through Sexual and Reproductive Health Investments and Family Support Policies in Malaysia, as the fund marks its 50th year working with the people and government of Malaysia. Good morning, Tunku. You know, congratulations on the report and also congratulations on 50 years working with us in Malaysia here. Having digested the report, though, help us understand what really triggered the development of this report. Thank you, Phil. So, yeah, and thanks for the recognition of our presence here in Malaysia for 50 years now. So, in as far as we have been in Malaysia, we have always taken an approach, what we call a rights-based approach, uh, basically advancing the rights and choices for women and girls uh, in terms of uh, taking care of their health. And increasingly, uh, after many years, we realized that with Malaysia's aspiration to move towards a high-income nation, it is also important that as part of our advocacy approach, we take basically an economic lens. So realizing that we then uh, decided to conceptualize this report where we then make the economic case for investment in sexual reproductive health. And, and so we then published this report which makes the argument of uh, the return on investments uh, that the country will gain if you invest in sexual reproductive health. I rarely see reports like this that really talk in terms of return on investments. And I want to just quote on page 10 of the report, investing in sexual and reproductive health is smart economics which yields huge returns. I mean, this language is rarely seen in a social kind of reports, right? But you kind of point to the fact that actually if you make these right investments, you really will see significant economic inputs, right? And outputs per se. Help us understand then what are these measures of success? Yes, so it was challenging. I mean, we basically tried, tried to marry the social development aspects as well as the economic benefit aspects. So what we've identified was that measures of success, as you mentioned, so as I mentioned, Malaysia is aspiring to be high-income nation and one key area that is very important uh, is uh, basically enhancing the female labor force participation. And so basically, if we want to uh, you know, be successful in Malaysia, uh, be a high-income nation, ensure social development, women uh, comprise of almost 50% of the population is an important investment. And some of the areas that the report identify is um, there are four areas in terms of measures of success. So if we invest invest in age-appropriate sexuality education, voluntary rights-based family planning services, and early detection of cervical cancer, and number four, paired with adequate family support policies, including childcare, elderly care, disabled care, all of these four uh, measures will generate significant socioeconomic benefits in Malaysia and basically build our most valuable assets, its human capital. Interestingly, right, you mean you marked out these four policy areas. I presume when you started this process, there were multiple policy areas, but many just didn't meet the return on capital or return on investments that came through. So you narrowed it down to these four. Correct me if I'm wrong. We narrowed down to these four based on what data and information that we have mm-hmm. so that we can try and quantify it into the calculation of the return of investment. For example, the lack of 
gender-based violence prevalence data, for example, didn't allow us to calculate, although we recognize uh, there is a global recognition yeah. that you, if you invest in prevention of uh, violence, it will also uh, provide the same uh, results, you know, increase in, uh, you know, return of investments. Yeah, yeah, it's based on basically available data. And 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 also, I just wanted to highlight this, this is also an underestimation. There are many multiplier effects in all of these investments that were identified in the report. I, I hope the outcome of this report then forces many of us to start improving our data collection efforts, right, so that we can quantify these investments more accurately, either directly or indirectly through the multiplier effects. When you think about this work, right, as you move forward and calculate the return on investment, was it easy to basically collect the data to help you determine this return on investment? Because you already were citing some challenges in actually getting this data, right? Or the data is non-existent. So was there a lot of inference required to say, okay, if I take this specific policy measure, I will get this return? Yeah, uh, as you rightly pointed, it wasn't straightforward. So for example, when we wanted to calculate the return on investment on if we were to implement a comprehensive sexuality education. So in Malaysia, uh, the policy, uh, applicable policy is the Pendidikan Kesihatan Reproductive than social. So basically, reproductive health and social education. And we had to basically put conditions whereby if it was implemented, fully in school, then you'll have positive outcomes like um, increased lifetime earnings due to decreased number of school dropouts. And why decreased number of school dropouts? If there are reduced unintended pregnancies for adolescents, for example, reduced uh, STIs, HIV, then you know those costs are prevented. And, and so, so the computation basically takes into account this deduction of expenses that you would make if the comprehensive sexuality education is not in place. And the goal, I presume, is look, you send all these policies to the government. The government looks at it and says, okay, I know how much I need to do. I know what the returns of the investments are. Do you then have a conversation with the government to say, this is the threshold of ROI I need to have uh, in order to make a certain policy move forward? Do you get that kind of clarity going forward then in terms of how do you advance a specific policy? So we just are at the initial stages of our advocacy. We did the soft launch last year. We are basically are fully launched it this year and we certainly do hope to move in that direction as you mentioned basically looking deeper into how this competition were made and you know the return on investment and how then could for example a ministry then invest more in uh, comprehensive sexuality education or HPV screening and vaccination and do specific more specific tabulation of what kind of returns you further gain because a lot of the returns were not calculated for example, when you know there's HPV reduction in it reduces cervical cancer, right? So the mm-hmm. cost of reducing cervical cancer within a ministry is it just within Ministry of Health, or you know is it cross ministry and at individual level, at society level? So those kind of more detailed competition has not taken place. So we can further look into that with uh, different government ministries, and they, that can basically further guide the you know, level of investment uh, required and what level of uh, benefits we, we would gain then.
The report is very forward-looking. It talks about if I make a certain investment, proving a certain outcome or situation or circumstance, right, uh, on sexual health and reproductive care, then yes, um, you see better benefits. I wonder if the formula is the same, if it's, you know, if the policy turns regressive, if we U-turn back on certain policies, do we then see a disbenefit, a negative outcome? Is it the same formula approach then we do that? We didn't calculate that, but <laughs> we can make some form of assumption. If we regress, say, in certain policies, then I guess the disadvantage would be the high cost. Uh, in, in this um, investment economic argument that we made, then again, back to, for example, HPV, if we didn't do enough uh, screening and vaccination, you know, and then we didn't actually, for example, include HPV education in the comprehensive sexual education where young people can be informed about it, uh, you know, to actually go for such screening if media doesn't you know, advocate and advertise and, you know, government ministries or any relevant agency to, you know, basically do not advertise about the importance of HPV screening and vaccination. So what would then happen? You wouldn't have prevented, you know, cervical cancer and deaths. So that definitely will translate into higher costs and, of course, health health in itself for people and health costs, yeah. When you try and quantify the impacts of all this work, generally the pushback will be, look, we don't only measure on a quantitative level, right? It's also sometimes... I mean, these issues can be very emotive. It, it touches on a personal level. How do you reconcile it when policymakers, when government tells you that it's just not only the numbers that matter, but it's also the right time, the right circumstances, the mood of society and such, right? What's your initial response when you hear those kind of excuses and reasons then? Well, part of our role uh, in UNFPA, and I'm sure with like-minded agencies as well, is to advocate for policies um, with the policymakers. As I mentioned before, we've taken a rights-based approach. Rights-based approach means then you would be, we would basically be making the case that, oh, it's important to take care of our women, our girls, our children. Um, is their right to be able to choose, is their right to information regarding health and so forth. But really then how do you um, ensure that these rights are ensured? Then we also take this approach where we try to economize, basically, you know, look at it from an economic lens and the importance of investing. So there will be, I mean, every government tries to do many things and and. There has to be a recognition of gradual improvements. And we've seen many improvements in Malaysia. We have to basically accept that we make one progress and then we make one progress after another. So, for example, recently there have been bills passed, Sexual Harassment Act, mm. you know, Anti-Stalking Bill. We, we had Domestic Violence Act in the past. We have so many progressive policies. Then how do you implement those policies? How do you make sure that gender-based violence survivors, you know, addressed, provided with legal support, you know, financial support, you know, shelter? You have to make investment for shelter provision. So these are the kinds of outcomes that you naturally, a country would realise in a step-by-step approach. If you've gotten a policy on domestic violence and, and health sector response to you know gender-based violence, and then in time to come, you will see that there's a need for higher investment in shelter, for example. So these are the kind of things that we need to recognise in terms of progressing and, and investment would then you know, be better allocated according to needs and you mm. know, based on available infrastructures and services. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Tunku Aira Tunku Razif from the United Nations Population Front. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.
Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, we speak to Tunku Ira Tunku Razi from the United Nations Population Fund on their latest report, Enhancing Human Capital Through Sexual and Reproductive Health Investments and Family Support Policies in Malaysia. Now, Tunku, we earlier had the conversation about how data-centric this report is. And just focusing on the stats specifically, they are pretty depressing for Malaysia. I mean, Malaysia's contraceptive rate is at 34%. And if you contrast that globally, the average is 54%. PEP spear screening is just only at 37%. So help us unpack these statistics a bit more. First of all, for example, contraceptive prevalence rate, it's not just about the use of contraceptive. It's a, it's a very important health indicator, health population development and women's empowerment indicator, you know, your um, ability to make decisions on reproductive health. So basically, it is a measure to on reproductive health and many other health aspects. And it links to, you know, many other social issues like child mortality, maternal health, HIV, AIDS, and gender equality in general. So the first of all, with the contraceptive prevalence rate, 34% and it doesn't include, say, unmarried uh, women. So, you know, in order to see the full picture, uh, we may have a different percentage if unmarried uh, women are included in the statistic, for example. And if I can quote the recent study by Ministry of Health, the National Health Mobility Survey, it showed that about 33% of teenagers have basically engaged in sexual intercourse before reaching the age of 14. And two-thirds of them are sexually active, 88% do not use any form of contraception. And there's approximately about 100 cases of baby dumping discovered annually in Malaysia. These, a lot of this data basically informs us the need of education, comprehensive sexuality education. Survivor, cervical cancer, for example, data has shown 1.1% of Malaysian women are at risk of developing cervical cancer. So we had a good HPV immunization program and um, still the uptake of PASME usage was low, right? Yeah. And and there has to be further investment on, on why do we education, really. Education through schools, to the media, on why do we need PASME. I mean, I, we don't have a study on why people don't take PASME, but we can assume that, safely assume that they probably don't know the importance of it and what is the yeah. you know, need for pap smear. Yeah. Even though the report is full of statistics, to do the proper diagnostics requires us to go even deeper with the insights in it to understand what sub-segments, what demographics are really not uh, responding or have these uh, benchmark gaps really significantly behind. The question then is the investment in data, right, to understand and to do the proper diagnostics and root cause about which subsegments and demographics are really not responding to these policy measures or potential policy measures. Yeah. So, for example, the data that we have covers uh, Malaysians, and um, there is also another set of population in in any country in Malaysia included. You have non-Malaysians as well. So those data are also missing. You know, in terms of policy response, then, you know, there is a uh, decision on whether, you know, people live in, in a country, in a society, whether they are citizens or non-citizens, and how do you then care, you know, basically support health of population when they live together and, and there are social interactions, you know, basically, for example, that could include uh, increase in HPV, cancer, uh, depending on social relations, regardless of whether you're Malaysians or non-Malaysians. So in order to ensure a holistic approach that all populations 
are addressed or even Malaysians are addressed, they have social relations with non-Malaysians as well in the country, for example. Yeah, so this kind of uh, an example of a dimension of basically data segregation, as you mentioned, that could be considered in policy making, you know, to ensure that that we have a holistic approach in in policymaking and health. I mean, the United Nations has this population strategic plan from 2022 to 2025, which is to achieve this universal access to sexual and reproductive health and reproductive rights, and to accelerate the implementation of the International Conference on Population Development Program for Action, and help me contrast where Malaysia stacks up, right, with respect to this strategic plan. How far are we, or how far ahead are we actually, uh, relative to this plan? A lot of the issues covered under our strategic plan, as well as the um, ICPD, as you mentioned, International Conference on Population and Development, speaks to uh, reproductive health. So, um, maternal mortality rates um, and um, unmet need for family planning, particularly modern contraception, contraceptive prevalence rate, uh, women's agency in family planning and decision making, comprehensive sexuality education, gender-based violence, and ICPD also includes financing mechanisms for ICPD. Yeah, so for example, on back to maternal mortality rates, we have been doing quite well actually for Malaysia in the region uh, compared to other countries, but it has, you know, basically been stagnated over the far, past few decades. And, the, you know, I think we were about 25 per 100,000 live births in 2018. And recently, in 2021, the statistic, the statistic has gone up to 68. So there has to be further investigation on why uh, this situation occurred. And there was some indication of, of the pandemic, for example, uh, bringing the numbers up. But, you know, we have a very good primary healthcare system. And then, so for example, other in interventions like family planning as a solution to prevent maternal mortality is something that can be considered. And then I think at LPKN, the National Population and Family Development Board uh, conducts a study on Malaysia population and family survey. So they look at uh, contraceptive prevalence rate, um, you know, family planning, modern methods. Numbers are not very high. I think we discussed this earlier. So there has to be, um, you know, further increase in, in terms of the data being holistic and including all sets of population. We do not have, um, so on GBV, Malaysia has done progressively quite, um, basically doing quite well. We have the Domestic Violence Act. It was amended later to include, you know, interim protection order. We have recent Sexual Harassment Act. We have the Anti-Stalking Bill. We are now looking more at care economy. There's been a lot of progress. Facilitating factors like coming back to the data, GBV prevalence data is something that we needed to ensure that we monitor and evaluate our response. And we have, for example, the one-stop crisis centers where you have a network approach to the gender-based violence survivors, you know, all of the different agencies working together, the police, the welfare department, the hospitals, uh, NGOs, all working together to give one stop support for women and, and implementation uh, can be assessed uh, in terms of ensuring improvement. And I think basically lastly on financing mechanism, uh, there have been efforts in ensuring what they call SDG financing, sustainable development goal financing that's broader than the International Conference on Population and Development where reproductive rights is the focus. It looks at many goals and, and that is a you know, stepping stone in terms of you know, further trying to invest or creating a financing mechanism for many issues. Mm. It's a platform that we can use to ensure you know, financing for reproductive rights agenda. 
reflecting on comprehensive sexuality education again um you know in school implementation also needs to be evaluated and there are other forms of education that are also useful out of school LPPKN is doing that other NGOs are also doing that and and many other community leaders can play an important role in ensuring sexuality education so so those areas can be enhanced as well and I wonder you know when you reflect on the progress made and with this paper calling for clear policy right what is the next steps really what is government's role next and you know in terms of also uh, private sector and media first of all we want to also thank the ministry of economy for the collaboration uh, on this report it really uh, is an important information in itself that we collaborated with the ministry of economy and you know recognition of the importance of investing in sexual reproductive health then um there are many different government ministries that can be involved in in investing in sexual reproductive health, Ministry of Women, Ministry of Finance, Ministry of Economy, Ministry of Health, uh, PKM, which is under Ministry of Women. You know, there's many, many uh, different, different sectors that can be involved. And I think one of the ways that we can move forward is, I think coming back to our conversation earlier in terms of, right, we have these, you know, ROIs already calculated, but they haven't looked deeper in what does it mean with this ROI? How do you unpack it further? So those are the kind of conversations that we should be taking forward with the government ministries. And um, we can unpack further the more ROIs that can be further <laughs> calculated with this underestimated ROI that we have um, made an initial uh, you know, a report with. Yeah, private sector, if I had the opportunity to highlight, they too can support uh you know, reproductive health and reproductive rights through the provision of um, family-friendly policies. There are many ways to do that, you know, ensuring childcare provision, ensuring basically human resources policies that support care work, uh, you know, when you have to care for children, elderly, disabled people, disabled family members, or when you are dealing with violence or domestic violence, maybe you can have leave from work. So very supportive ecosystem that the private sector can also look into because these investments have, uh, you know, global studies have shown that these investments also provide returns to the companies in terms of productivity, diversification, growth, and and female labor force in general um, supports diversity and growth within company and the country and the media, of course. And they are a very, you know, important voice, basically an important platform for the public to be hearing uh, in a good education about so many of these issues. So media to me is always important if, if, you know, where could you be finding information about, you know, as you mentioned, such rich information that we have derived from this report, for example, I mean, media plays a very important role and we certainly should also work with the media to advocate, yeah, in that sense. That was Tengku Aira Tengku Raze from the United Nations Population Fund Malaysia. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.